Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode 156 of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Thanks for being here. My name is Michael Cirillo, and I am delighted to bring you inside my conversation with Anthony Alagona, a leading sales and BDC consultant in our fine automotive industry. Dot, dot, dot. Also hospitality. Now, I say leading because Anthony brings so much more than top tier service and growth to the dealers that he serves. He also has a passion. He brings the passion, he brings the fire, and demonstrates true leadership in both word and deed, likely why he's booked solid for months and months into the future. In this episode, you'll hear Anthony share what you can do to grow in your career in automotive from sales and leadership and, and of course, everything in between. Now, before we hop in, I would just, man, boy, would I love... <laughs> If you would like and subscribe to the podcast, if you haven't already done so, if you have done so, my deepest and most sincere thanks be to you. If you're getting value from the show and you haven't done this yet, man, oh man, would I love if you would send me a review, an honest review, none of this, you know, fluffy stuff. Just give me an honest review of, uh, of the show and how you're enjoying it on iTunes or on the DPB Facebook page. Man, that, that would just be so cool of you. I would love that. Now, without further ado, this is episode 156 with Anthony Alagona. Here we go. Okay, so how long were you in India for? I was in India for nine days. Nine days, and you just like basked in the beauty of the streets and the beaches, and we all looked upon you from the freezing cold and said, Alagona is a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) What was the biggest thing that, like, what's the biggest kind of thing that stood out to you being over there? Uh, The biggest thing that stood out to me is just uh, looking from the outside, I think a whole different level of happiness and content for the smaller things in life and uh, the way they live their life and where their mindsets are. Don't you find it interesting? It's like everywhere else in the, I, I almost, I'm starting to get to the point where I don't know what you want to call it. Like for lack of better words, the free world, you know, the, the North American culture. So parts of Europe, North America, just anywhere that's kind of running at the, the same pace as we are. And I don't say that in a derogatory way or in a demeaning way, but just in a kind of, we're always like grasping for the next level like this we're never content we're never and therefore very rarely satisfied we're always looking to see what other people are doing and oh man i missed an opportunity don't you find life's kind of refreshing from the other side of the fence looking at our lives from that angle where it's like dude we're happy family's good we're good we're excited to be together as family um, we're excited to have events together as family, go for a picnic in the freaking park without worrying about Facebook and yes. Instagram and all these other things. Don't, don't you find that? I, I find that interesting. It's very interesting. I'll tell you, it was very refreshing to, 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 uh, be observing of their culture from the outside. And to kind of give you an example, uh, we stayed down in Juhu beach in Mumbai, which is kind of near where some of her relatives live. And um, at the hotel, we were at the Ramada Plaza, um, which was a nice hotel. Uh, unfortunately, down in that area, there's a lot of underprivileged and homeless people. And right outside of our hotel, there was probably about a group of 15 homeless people that lived out there. And um, during the night, they would sell 
you know, random things to the crowds that would come down to the beaches because they were very busy at night and they had lots of festivals going on. But every morning I would wake up and look out the window and I would see them all waking up on the side of the hotel and uh, I became quite, quite involved with them every morning walking down and giving them food. But to see the father and the mother um, being homeless with three or four infant children and the way they woke up every morning and played with their children and still laughed and smiled, even though they were um, not in a position to uh, give their kids much resources, so to speak, it was amazing to see the level of happiness, even though they didn't have a lot of materialistic things. What's, what's crazy. Okay. I love that. What's crazy about that, right? We're seeing a lot more studies these days where, um, my sister sent me a video, it was a Simon Sinek kind of montage of different snippets of different things. And he's talking basically about how devices and how smartphones and things of that nature are really, really bogging us down, especially in children, because by the time they come to the workforce, we're, we're letting people into the workforce that have very clearly visible addiction. Yes. Because they, they don't know how to interact with the world without their smartphone. Uh, my sister shared uh, um, an article and I'll have to find it. Hopefully I can link it up in the show notes, but about how children especially need, they need certain minimums to develop properly. And one of them was, you know, eye contact. So when they're speaking to you, that you are looking them in the eye so that they know for a fact, it's just that subliminal message of, yes, I care only about you in this moment. Nothing else matters. I am here with you. That sort of a thing. There's, um, there's an old Canadian children's performer named Charlotte Diamond. And this was like way back in the eighties or something like maybe even late seventies. She wrote a song called four hugs a day. Really? And it's all about four hugs a day. That's the minimum, not the maximum. Like the and she, so she's talking about that. And this was well before child development majors and doctors realize that children do actually need at minimum four meaningful contacts per day from, from a parent or a loved one, Absolutely. Uh, which contributes. So what you're saying interests me because you're saying they don't have a lot of materialistic things. The things that we typically give to show our regard for people here, but they are giving them the thing that matters most love, care, attention, right? Um, so I, I find that extremely fascinating. It's awesome. It was so awesome to watch from the outside in. And, um, it's funny that you said that about the eye contact, because every time when I went to go down there, I would actually kind of bend down and kind of get on my knee to talk to the children every morning to kind of make sure I was eye contact level with them to understand that I was trying to talk to them. So it's funny that you said that. Yeah. And you know what? And it's not too different about some of the things I want to pick your brain on today, which is perhaps a good segue into showing genuine care and concern for people in general. I think this is one of the contributing factors to why those that can figure out and put into practice the things you're teaching dealers every day. And by the way, congrats, man, on, on, uh, you know, it's been really cool following your story and just seeing your evolution and starting your company and just the consultancy. Would you say you loaded up like 75 days worth of new training in like three days? Yeah. I, 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 you know, it's, it's been, a, it's been a whirlwind and, uh, it's, it's awesome to hear, especially coming from somebody like yourself, because, you know, we've had many conversations, me and you in the past, um, um, about these days that would come in my future. And, um, you've been a big supporter and, uh, I've took a lot of your advice over the time, especially back in the past. And, uh, to, to hear it coming from you is uh, extra special, Michael, because, uh, you, you see me come from where I was to where I am now. And, uh, 
it's gratifying. It just goes to show you if you put your mind to it and you stay positive and you just focus on what you can control that you can do anything. Well, and, and that's it, man. That That's why it's happening for you is because not only are you taking relentless action, but it's that positivity and you've always been such a positive person and and it's infectious, it's contagious. And, and that's such a needed thing. We need more change agents such as yourself in the automotive industry and in the world today, I think in our in our society, which is why I think talking about India and care, concern, affection is such an interesting thing because the dealers I find that are doing that exact thing are the ones that are winning today. Uh, but want to turn it over to you. I mean, what's your observation? What are some of the mistakes you see happening on a day-to-day basis? And then maybe what are some things that turn, turn that around for dealers? Uh, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is um, a couple things. Uh, I think the first thing is just the mindset. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of clients that I work with, you know, when I first work with them, you know, their their end game, their end result, what they want is to increase their numbers, obviously. Um, and I'm trying to teach them it's not about the numbers; it's about playing the long game and having the end result in mind, which would be to make sure that um, you realize that this is a people business. Um, at the end of the day, um, we don't have the best reputation in the car industry, and it's because uh, of all the messages that we perpetuate every day. Um, for example. You know, one of the biggest thing that kind of irks me in the car business is how you can try to go shop for a car, but yet you can't get a price from a dealership. Um, it's one of, the hard, one of the hardest things to get a price for is, you know, something, you know, a car. It's one of the most expensive things that you would ever buy. And when you call it for a price, it's almost like taboo. Um, no, and I give the example when I walk into training and I say, listen, would you ever walk into Best Buy and pick up a 50-inch TV and bring it to the counter without looking at the sticker price? or Better yet, would you ever do a walkthrough of an open house and go shop for a house without knowing the asking price? Um, yeah. Sales professionals should be um, be able to be very proud of the price that they put out there and to realize that, you know, profit and gross gross profit doesn't come from the product. You know, we're all selling the same product. It's, it's the personality and the presentation that's going to get you the gross profit. And what I try to teach, um, first and foremost, um, where I think the biggest disconnect is, is that this is a people business. And, and instead of worrying about trying to help somebody, uh, trying to sell somebody something, you want to help them buy and um, you want to create that relationship. So I think that's the biggest factor is just the mindset of on how they view, they view them as customers. And I, and I tell, I try to tell dealers, there's a difference between a customer and a client, a customer is once and a client is forever. And, um, you know, just like a salesperson, there's a difference between a salesperson and a sales professional. And that's in the practice that you put behind your craft. Hmm. Interesting. And it's funny you say that about, picking up a, a TV and walking to the front counter without seeing the sticker price. I, I was just in a meeting with my sales team. And, and one of the things we were talking about is how much more valuable it is to give price up front because then the rest of your presentation is helping them understand the value of the price yes. or understanding why what they're paying is valuable. And it's so much easier for them to see. And I, you used Best Buy. I used Walmart. I'm like, I would never... Can you imagine going to Walmart and not being able to see the price of something until you've picked it up and looked at all the features the whole time? You're just wondering, well, what's this thing worth? Exactly. Um, and versus, oh, it's 19.99. Now I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to look at it, and my brain will justify for me whether or not I believe it's worth 19.99 or not. Absolutely. And one of the ways I kind of paint the picture to the dealers when I work with them, or when I first kind of start talking to them, is I say, you know, if it's about the price thing and they don't want to show their prices on the internet, I'm like. You know, that's like that's like me coming into your dealership and and you asking me what my pr- price is as a trainer. 
And then uh, I tell you, don't worry about it. I'll give you the invoice when I'm done training. You would never hire me. <laughs> right? Or, or when they ask me to lower my prices and I say, listen, um, you know, how could you, how could you, how can I justify lowering my price for you and not holding my gross and then trying to tell you that I can teach your salespeople to hold, how to hold theirs? Right? So it's, um, it's all a perception thing and it's making sure that, you know, they already know the price and what I teach dealerships and what I teach sales professionals and business development representatives is they already know the price. Um, the only reason they're asking you for a better price is that's because what they, that's what they're conditioned to do. But more importantly, instead of trying to overcome a price objection, um, that's the first mistake is that sales professionals and BDC reps uh, view the price as an objection when it's not really an objection, it's an expectation, right? You have an expectation of to know what the price is of something that you're going to purchase. And right. instead of trying to overcome a price objection, why don't you spend some time in developing your words because sales is a language at the end of the day. And uh, when people say it's not about language or word tracks, I say, well, then try to set me an appointment or sell me a car without talking. It's impossible. Yeah, right. You know, I tell them to teach, you know, and, and this is what I explain to people on the phone. I say, listen, Mr. Customer, the price that you see online is very aggressively priced. And then I go into the expi- uh, explanation of our pricing tool. You know, all dealerships use a, a highly advanced software that takes our inventory and, and, and cross compares it to our competition multiple times a day to make sure that we're in line with our pricing. So at the end of the day, the price that you see online is either at or below our competition's price. It doesn't mean that you don't have any more leverage. It means that your leverage is now in the hundreds of dollars and not the thousands. There's lots of things right. in the price. Let's talk about those factors. Right. Yeah, it makes total sense. I love what you're saying about language. Communication, I think, is something that's so lacking these days. Um, I mean, you look at not just in business, but in anything, it's it's the lack of communication or not using the right language that causes wars, that causes arguments between friends, friendships fall apart, marriages, the family, you know, why a father can't connect with his son anymore. Like there's so many reasons why language is so important. So I love that you're saying sales, sales is a language, right? Try, try and sell me something without talking to me. It's really, really, I think a super fascinating thing. And even to boil that down further, what I'm getting from that is like, even, even how you present information on your website, you're still speaking a language. You're still, and and they're deciphering that language in a certain way. And so it's incumbent upon you to make as much clarity happen as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. The way you deliver your message is more important than the actual message itself. Do you find the challenge though, in all of this is that I mean, here we are, episode 100 and some odd, some odd, I don't know where we're at, <laughs> somewhere in the 150s, 160s, I'll say. You are now lending your voice as a practitioner to the other voices that have come before who are all suggesting there's no quick fix to this. Like Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day, but they still laid down some blocks. Yeah. And and the 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 fix is in essentially self-improvement taking actions you you mentioned um what did you say you said uh the difference between a salesperson and a sales professional is the skill that they put behind their craft or the sorry the practice that they put behind their craft yes um but so few of us are willing to practice is is that how is that where we're at are we just such a like it's just we're, we're so into the immediate gratification that we can't even we can't even now do the thing that will make the most impact that's that's exactly that's the biggest factor in, in most industries. And, and I tell people the way to get, the way to give you a good example is, I mean, look at the way most sports, ath- you know, sports athletes, you know, superstars like say LeBron James, look how much these people are criticized. Oh, they're overpaid. 
yet they spend their entire career training at a level that no one else is accustomed to just for a shot to be in the pros, which only lasts a certain amount of time to make as much money as possible. Um, you know, like Tony Robbins says, you get rewarded in public for what you practice in private. And, you know, Jim Rohn, I'm a big fan and listen to Jim Rohn. And, you know, he, one of his word tracks that he says all the time that I listen to him every morning in the shower is that, you know, you can make you can make a good living if you work hard at your job, but you can make a fortune if you work hard on yourself. Mm. And um, those things have just stuck with me. And I, and I tell myself, you know, I go by a lot of quotes. As you know, I do a lot of quotes on social media. And one of my favorite quotes that I put out is, you have to consciously create your habits because your habits unconsciously create your reality. I want to say that mm. again. You have to consciously create your habits because your habits unconsciously create your ha- reality. And I used to have a lot of bad habits, which which turned my reality reality into not such a good place for uh, a short period of my life. And I was able to uh, pick myself up and, and put myself into a different direction. And when I stopped hanging out in bars and I replaced that by going to seminars and, and places that where I can improve myself, my whole paradigm changed. And my life changed. You know, if you're willing to change, everything around you is going to change. And practice is where it's at. I mean, you know how many people, when I go into dealerships, how many salespeople or BDC people, and I had it happen yesterday on site. Anthony, I don't believe in scripts. Well, first of all, they're not scripts. I mean, it's only script if, if you don't if you don't know what you're saying. And a script is supposed to be an outline of things that you want to ask on the phone. And then you're supposed to ingest your, infuse, I'm sorry, not ingest, infuse your personality to make it your own. But it's, it's about having a strategy. I mean, the, the best example is look at Grant Cardone and, and his company. Those guys right. beast on the telephone. And that's because they practice and they're role playing all the time and, and they're practicing their craft. And sales is a language. And you just got to, I mean, just like you said, if, if you configure your words in certain ways, you're going to get different perceptions or different um, people are going to take different things from your message. That's why they say never really try to explain something through a text message or an email because it's going to get misconstrued. And it happens to me with me and my wife when we text all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that could be a whole, that could be a whole other episode. We'd have to have Dr. Uh, what's her name? Dr. Sarah yes. or whatever the, the late night or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny though, because so much communication is dependent on text messages. There's even companies out there that are like, Oh man, we have a text message solution. And I think, Man, you know how much gets lost in translation, especially, you know, let's talk about that for a second, because text messaging or instant messaging, DM on Facebook, whatever it is, all these things that nowadays we would prefer to use. The problem with it is twofold in my mind. First, you're dependent on your writing ability. Yes. And you suck at writing. Yep. And you are dependent on their reading yeah. comprehension uh-huh. and they suck at reading comprehension absolutely um and then once we've <laughs> once we've laid the foundation of we suck at both of these practices <laughs> let's remove context from intonation body language let's remove you know what since you already suck at the foundation of this conversation why don't we withdraw all of the other stuff that's going to help lend its hand to understanding and 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 next thing you know, World War Three breaks out. Exactly. Or people go, I don't get it. This customer won't come in to see me. Mm-hmm. What did I say wrong? And might you might have actually said everything right, but they just don't know how to read. Is exactly right. So I love what you're saying. Right. It, it starts with mindset. Mm-hmm. You got to shift your paradigm. You got to shift your mindset. I think on a daily basis, one of the most valuable things for me has been writing down and just being self-aware enough of my own, my, my thoughts. Um, and, and in so doing, 
you know, like you've kind of talked about my thoughts create action. And, but with that level of self-awareness, I'm able to make sure that the actions I'm taking map to a defined outcome. Yes. Yes. And I mean, from your, from your observation, right? You're in so many stores every single day. Like, I I don't, do do you, do you have a bed at home or (laughs) is there just like a, is there a cot you just roll up at the, the, throw me in service bay seven. That's where I'm going to sleep. It's next to Zeus. (laughs) (laughs) Keeps you warm. Yeah, exactly. Keeps you warm. Zeus is the dog, by the way. The uh, the road runner, the 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 beach running pal. There is. Uh, is he your mask? Is Zeus your mascot? He really is. He's my. He's. I'll tell you what. He was. Uh, he's my first son. He's my canine, and um, I've had him since he was about six and a half weeks old, and he's going on ten. And he's one of the. Wow. He's actually one of the reasons I am where I am today because he was there when I had nothing, and he listened to me when I had nothing, and uh, I, I credit a lot of my success to him being by my side. That's for sure. I've got to say, you're the first person I've had on the show that's credited or attributed success to to an animal. Yeah, I mean, tell you, Michael, when I just came, I got him right after I came out of being homeless, and um, there was uh, I wasn't working for a short period of time. I remember being in the winter, and he was just a young pup, and we would spend hours outside with each other, and I would just walk around wondering where I was going to take my life, and talking out loud, and uh, you know, it just it's been a been a blessing to have him by my side. So a lot of what you teach is personal experience. Yes. I try to lead by example. That's the hashtag of my company is to lead by example because um, I try to separate myself from the rest of the trainers out there in the industry by a, a couple things. Number one is I try to give you my all, meaning that you have me 24-7, um, even if the dealer signs up and they don't sign up to bring me back again. You know, I, As long as you have my contact information, you'll always have contact with me. It's not about the money. It's about the relationship. And um, I try to lead by example, meaning I'm not just going to come in there and show you what to do. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to do it too. Because at the end of the day, when a trainer comes in, and this is the reason I tell the dealerships that, you know, 90% of dealers won't use what I teach. It's just uh, it's just a numbers game. It's, it's just like being a personal trainer. I can give you the workout plan and the meal plan, but if you don't follow both, you won't get the results. And I try to tell them, I say, listen, it works while I'm here. And when I'm gone, if it doesn't work, the first person you're going to blame is me. So I want to show you that it does work by me doing it when I'm here. So that's the way I try to lead by example and uh, separate myself from everybody else is just by making sure that I not only teach the process, but I actually roll up my sleeves and I work the process because it's not rocket science when I'm teaching. It's just relationship. It's uh, all people make a decision based upon a feeling. And if you want to change what a person's going to do, you got to change how they feel about it. You understand how the public feels about buying a car. It's not fun. Even if you have perfect credit and lots of money in the bank, it's still not a fun process. So the easiest way to win is to over deliver on the customer experience and, uh, and just uh, do the things that most dealers aren't willing to do. This is interesting. So w- when you go into a store, um, uh, you're helping them with mindset. you what's the next thing? Do you think, uh, I mean, is there the factor of People don't know how to set the right goals. Like, does that play into this? Is that a mistake people are making? And if so, how do you help them overcome it? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. It's two things. It's number one. It's uh, I go in there and I give them the mindset, but I also got to go over there, go in there and give them the belief. And I believe that you definitely need a lot of motivation and you need inspiration because inspiration lasts longer. So, one of the things that I do differently than most trainers probably is I go in there and I tell my story of where I was eleven years ago by choosing to get you know, in too much involved with alcohol and drugs and becoming homeless, to training my life around, to travel in the country, to teach dealers how to sell more cars. And then I go around the room and I 
make them introduce themselves to me and tell me what they did before that, what made them choose car sales, what do they like about it, what are some of their goals, and I make them become my friend. And once I make them become my friend and I, they realize that they're my friend, now when I leave the dealership, if they stop using the process or they start to slide off the process, I can come approach them as a friend and say, hey, listen, I'd hate you not to use this stuff because it's going to get you to the next level. And now I can act disappointed instead of trying to be mad as a trainer. And it usually helps hold accountability a little bit better, but it lets them know that I'm not just here as your trainer. I'm here as your friend first and then your trainer second. And um, that helps with getting them to buy in because if I'm, if I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed and I can turn my life around and I can do all the things I'm doing, then just follow the roadmap that I've, I'm trying to lay out for you guys. Step by step here, paint by colors almost. Yeah. I mean, I was just at a dealership yesterday and I gave the example to one of the sales professionals that you know as well. And, uh, you know, he was asking me about goal setting and I said, well, listen, how much money do you want to make 2019? And he said, 150,000. I go, how much do you want to save out of that 150,000? And he gave me a number and I said, make it 50,000. And he goes, I want, I want to be realistic. I said, you can be realistic, but you got to put big goals out there because, you know, if you fall short of big goals, you know, you're going to land on something nice. I said, okay, right. now that you want to make 150000 you know, divide that by 12. What's that number? All right, it's 12 and change. Now, what's your average commission per vehicle? You know, what do you use the average on a car? That number's 400. Let's divide that by 400. And that shows you got to get 32 cars out a month. Now, let's go dig deeper. Let's, let's figure out how you're going to get those 32 cars. There's nine different ways you could sell a car and lots of different closing percentages. And you got to figure out how you're going to get those opportunities in front of you so you can close 32. I mean, Ali Reddit didn't get it by not, you know, he didn't get the record by not being a relationship seller and not making sure he had a strong follow-up process. Yeah. And, and infrastructure surrounding him. Like, I, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize there's, there's a lot of infrastructure that you're not considering. Most people just set the goal. Oh yeah, I want, I, I want 12, five and I like, I like, or I want 150,000, but I love how you break that out into into bite-sized steps because in so doing you then realize oh i need to have kind of a support system in place as well or maybe there's factors that will help me achieve that that i'm not thinking about as well yes and you know why because it's and it's those small steps are actually the smaller steps are actually bigger more important than the big goal at the end in the long run and the way they give the analogy when i'm on site is i say listen when i first left my former company i experienced a lot of failure and i knew i was gonna i knew i was gonna experience an uphill battle for the first 52 weeks between lawsuits and and public, uh, you know, uh, coming at me publicly and trying to discredit my name and all that other good stuff. And I said, I had to set a goal for myself. And, um, physically, I said, I, I gave myself a 90 day workout challenge where I was going to run and work out for 90 days. And I put it on social media. The reason I did that is because I needed to see success somewhere in my life where I had control. And if I could just focus on what I can control by working out and eating right for 90 days, if I was to get pushed out of the industry that I love being in by, by legally for some reason, at least at the end of the 90 days, I was going to be in shape and feel a certain way about myself. And success and failure just don't happen. They're not just these big events that happen. They're just accumulation of all the small steps. So if you can write down your goals every day and you can back, you know, you can take your big goal and you can reverse engineer it into small goals. It's like taking, it's like taking a set of stairs. You can't just jump to the top. You got to go step by step. But when you accomplish those small goals, what it does is it builds confidence and it builds momentum. And then all of a sudden things get easier and you start to feel like you're getting luckier and, and, and deals start to close and more people start to reach out. One of the most interesting things that you could probably take away from my story a little bit is since I left my former company on May 14, 2015, I have not called one dealership to solicit business to say, please hire me. I'm a training company. 
everything has been coming through me through social media or a referral. I haven't had a solicit or prospect or cold call one dealer. And right now I'm booked out almost 90 days in advance. It's not by, wow. it's not by mistake. It's by me investing in people, by me doing the things that most trainers aren't willing to do, by me going to conferences, by me paying for myself to learn more, by, by surrounding myself with the right people and keeping the right people in my circle and getting the wrong people out of my circle. So it's, your net, your network is your net worth. It sure is. It, it, it really is. And, you know, the biggest thing I try to paint the picture for for BDCs and, and salespeople when I go in there is I say, listen, if you're going to trade away 10, 12 hours of your life every day for pay, uh, you, you better make sure that you're maximizing your time inside the dealership. They say time is money. And what you want to do is you want to make enough money to buy back your time so you can, when you get home, you can do with the things that you want to do. Now I get to choose how hard I want to work or I don't want to work. Luckily, I have mm. the work ethic and I love to work and it's not a job for me anymore. And it, so when people say, oh my God, you hustle so hard, it's no, it's just me living and this is what I love to do. It doesn't feel like work anymore, but I, I, I get to make the choices because I'm willing to put the hard work in. I'm willing to sacrifice to sleep. I'm willing to go sacrifice to be away from my family so I can build a better future for my son. Yet you have probably one of the most healthy looking family relationships as well. And that's, you know, and, and I appreciate that. And, you know, some of that's from the outside. I mean, trust me, I'm, I'm not the easiest to get along with. You can ask my wife. She, I mean, she's been there with me. <laughs> and and we, at the end of the day, we both know that we're both working really hard to achieve goals and that we have to sacrifice a little bit. And we're just trying to set the right example for our son because I spent a long time, excuse me, I spent a long time setting a bad example for myself and people around me. So I just want to make sure right. for the, going forward, I'm setting a good example. And, and you can like work, you know, you, you can enjoy what you do. I mean, you don't find your, you don't find your passion. You don't, don't go looking for passion, just work with passion. And eventually it's going to show up. Yeah, I wrote one word down here um, while you were talking and it, as you were sharing about your 90 day workout, you said, per, um, I, I wrote down purpose. Yes. You had a purpose, like even in something like doing a 90 day workout and, and posting it to social media, the reason it worked is because you had there was a you you clearly defined a purpose yes and it was basically one of maintaining control yes how many people are failing because they really don't have any purpose like is is one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year goal good enough if there's not a purpose behind it not at all not at all I mean as a matter of fact it shouldn't even be about money like honestly I don't even I don't I don't stress that about money or bills or anything like that in when my when Things were tough for me financially when I was going through some rough times. I mean, my wife would, would stress about it more than I would because money is just a tool. And, and, you know, one of the things Jim Rohn says is that, you know, he said, set a goal to make a million or a billion dollars, not for who it makes you when you make a million dollars, but who it makes you in the process of making that. You know, you, you mm, learn transformation, the transformation, just like, Joe, you know, our good friend, Joe Calla, he had a good quote when we used to work for our, uh, our former employer that he came up with that always stuck with me. He said, information without application is just information. But information with application equals transformation. And it has stuck with me. Mm. said those words. Knowledge. Yeah, it's, it's a it's clarification on the old adage of knowledge is power. Well, no, knowledge is only power when you know what to do with it. it exactly. It, 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 and that's what kind of makes me laugh when I see posts about people saying, oh, college is a waste of time and it's just there to take your money. It's, college just prepares you. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't teach you what to do when you get out. Just gives you the information that you can use later on. Yeah, it gives you the theory, but now you gotta now you have to take action. It's funny listening to all this because one of the things that I do, I, I've shared this on a past episode of the show. Like I create, I have my own 
a simple Google Doc template of a daily daily planner yes. where I write down the things that I'm grateful for. But purpose is also a big thing uh, for me. And at the bottom of it, I have reminders to myself, just in my own self-awareness. And these are not things I'm ashamed to share, but I think make me human and show people <laughs> we're all human. We're all in this together. Absolutely. Stay focused, remain calm, provide value, maintain control, stay curious, always learn, be patient, don't overthink, take action. I love those. Um, those are, you know, and, and yours might look a little bit different than mine or, or from everybody else. But for me, those are the things I think a lot of people don't take enough time to become self-aware. Like, hey, what's going on in my brain right now? What do I really want? Why do I really want that? Why am I going into work every day? Like, there, do you find like maybe sometimes there's just the factor of they just don't like this work. Like, they're not into the car business. They're not into it. So, so they're, they're, they perpetually struggle because. They just don't like it. They have nothing for it. Whereas if they were into building stuff and went to go work in construction or something, they might thrive. Yes. What do you do in that scenario? Because I think that is a money factor. Like people are, I'm here because I'm picking up a paycheck. So how do you, how do you break free from that scenario? Well, I tell them, you know, most people aren't, you know, most people aren't willing to do what they have to do until they, until they can do what they want to do. And, you know, right. it's, 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 it's always hard when you're in a job where you feel like you don't have a passion for it or you just hate showing up every day. But, you know, even, even when I'm inside of a dealership, I say, listen, it, we don't all raise our hands and say, we're going to be in a car business one day. None of us said we want to be a car salesman. Um, right. Pretty much. But I say, if you're going to be here, you got to learn on how to maximize your time here and put yourself in a better position for when you take your next step in life that you're taking your best foot forward. So, you know, my, my coming from, um, Working at a very young age for my, my stepfather when he owned gas stations and convenience stores, uh, I'll never forget. He always told me, though, you know, put, put everything into no matter what job you're doing. I don't care if you're just washing the windows or I mean, to give you an example, my first job when I used to beg to go to work, he, he finally brought me to work at age 12. And he said, yeah, I'm going to bring you in so you can police the area. And I was like, oh, I'm going in and I'm going to police the area. I'm going to be like a security guard. And <laughs> I got there and I got a, I got a broom and a dustpan and I was you know, sweeping up cigarette butts. And he, he taught me work ethic from a very young age. Um, thank God for that rest of soul um so it's uh work ethic even when you don't like what you, you do you got to learn how to you got to learn how to love things sometimes that you don't like doing i mean like rocky says life ain't all sunshine and rainbows <laughs> yeah totally and well and and that brings me to um one of my interviews with with grant uh cardone why people hate their jobs because they suck at it yeah. so the way to the way to get over that is to take actions like you're talking about here, take the actions that will make you not suck at it. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll be a little bit transparent and I've, I've said this story before and I'll say it online and I, it doesn't matter. Just to paint the picture is like when I first left the restaurant business, cause I was in hospitality for about 20 years and if Robert Wiseman was listening to this, he'll make fun of that <laughs> comment. Um, but my, for my point is when I first made the transition into the, the car business around 2011 and I went to go work for my former company, you know, one of the things I had to do was I had to go, take a look at if this was something I wanted to do. And their offices were about an hour and 45 minutes away from my house. And unfortunately at that time I was on a suspended driver's license for not paying surcharges. I was broke. And I went and stayed at his house for three days and I went and took a look at his company and I went to work with him and I decided this was something that I wanted to do. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time said, you know, she dropped me off at his house for three days so I could sleep over there and not have to drive an hour and 45 minutes back each way with her. And when I arrived, right. she said, do you want to take the job? And I said, yes. She goes, how are you going to get there? And I said, I'm going to figure it out. And 
to be honest with you, Michael, my first year of working in the business, when I had to go teach myself, you know, all this stuff I had to learn, I was driving back an hour and 45 minutes working for $12 an hour, renting a car for $730 a month on a suspended driver's license, hoping I wouldn't get caught. And I did that for a year. <laughs> and think about that. The $12 an hour wasn't even paying for the car because it was $730 a month plus $20 a day in gas and tolls. So my, my girlfriend was like, you're going to work for free. And I said, listen, you know, if, I'm willing, if I need to make a change in the industry and this is what I want to do, you don't start at the top. The only people that start at the top of their profession are grave diggers. it's so true it's funny i never thought of that um you know and i'm so fascinated by that right like just the willingness there just the willpower and willingness that it takes to succeed um i don't know where it came from michael to tell you the truth i was just so fed up with not going anywhere with my life with underperforming with i was a big talker i was a big i was a guy with ideas that never put the action behind them well, but I think I think that's where it came from. You just said I was so fed up, right? Like I I look at myself, um, you know, large parts of inspiration from you, so I can attest that inspiration lasts longer. I see you're you're working out every day. You posted all that kind of stuff. Well, um, I got so fed up with being, uh, well, obese to to the standards, um, that it was being so fed up with that and being fed up with how I felt and being fed up with how I looked and being fed up with not being able to climb stairs properly and yeah. being fed up with not being able to kick the soccer ball and those sorts of things. It was that being disgusted with myself that drove me to go. And, you know, I think I'm for 45 pounds down now oh, and, 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 and counting. Right. Um, but I think that's it. Like you said, it's being fed up. You were fed up. You, you, you were, and that brought you that, I think fed up happens when you hit rock bottom. Yes. Yes. Um, and that, that's what drives you to move up. Yep. I'll, ne- I'll never forget the day that changed my life was when I was homeless. And my mother was sliding me money on the side and it was during the holidays. And my family knew I was homeless and my mom tried to get me to come back, but it was a pride thing. I was going to go back and move home with my mom at age 35 or however old I was. Right. I, was, I went home for Christmas and my mom and my sister gave me a little bit of tough love and they got a stick off the tree in the backyard and they got a bandana. They got shaving cream and toothpaste and all these other essentials, and they made a hobo stick and they gave it to me in front of my whole family. And so it was funny, and I'll never forget kicking that stick and because I needed the stuff, crying inside, but promising myself I wouldn't walk back into that house until I got myself on my feet and into a better position. So that day, I wow, my life, wow, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, and thank God for that day because who knows I would I might have kept feeling sorry for myself and and blaming all of what I don't have on the everything else that I had no control over. So speaking of mindset in the moment, did you want to like smack them all upside the head and now looking back, realize it was a labor of love? Yes. Yes. At that moment, I couldn't believe uh, I felt like I can't believe you're going to try to hurt me like this in front of everybody. When, you know, they were just trying to push me to uh, wake up and take responsibility for myself. And uh, it's been my life has been changed ever since. And I do a lot of things on social media, like, you know, I post my workouts and stuff like that. And I try to tell people it's not to try to impress people. It's try to more inspire people. People wonder how I have such high energy and how I'm able to work out and how I'm able to keep traveling. And I'm just trying to make the most of my time here. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a choice and a mindset to be happy and successful. They're just choices and mindsets. And if, if I can impact one person by what I post, then, then I'm winning. And it's a, it's a day by day process. I, I thought it was all the caffeine injections. Isn't that what, <laughs> is that what you were saying? Right? Before the show? It was the caffeine injections. Isn't that what you were saying before show? 
a little bit of coffee. I'm a coffee lover. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's caffeine injection. <laughs> that's all. You know what? It, it's super inspiring. We've talked a lot about mindset. Um, and that's kind of the starting point. Well, that is not kind of the starting point. That is the starting point. You need to get your think straight. Where do we go next? Like if you had to say, all right, dealerships listening to this and they're going, man, okay, got it. Mindset. What's the next thing I have to have to focus on once I'm getting my think straight? Can, can it happen simultaneously with whatever happens next? Or does it have to be one, you know, linear, like get think straight and here's how. Now let's move on to the next step. Yeah, well, what is that next we, step? We want to make sure everybody's on the same team. We're heading in the same direction. I, you know, no, a matter of fact, another another Joe Calla quote that stuck with me from back in the day was, um, you know, this is like a relay race. BDC is going to pick up the baton. We're going to paint the picture to the customer. What's going to happen? And when the salesperson takes that baton, we got to perpetuate that message when they get here and over deliver on the experience. So once you get the mindset right, you got to put the process in place and make sure that we have the correct process. And there are lots of different processes that work. No, no one process is better than the other. It's just about staying on and realizing that at the end of the day, this is just a relationship business that requires good communication skills and over delivering on what you say you're going to do. It's we're, we're not we're not selling rocket science here. Um, there's a reason why robots and vending machines are being made to sell cars is because, you know, one day they're going to drive and sell themselves. It's just uh, it's it's part of evolution, so to speak. And um Right now, we've got to maximize the time that we have that we can still be a factor in this whole car buying process. And the best way to win is to make sure that you have a process that you're going to religiously follow. It's like you can't go to the gym one day a week and expect to get six pack abs. It's just not going to happen. You've got to have a process that you're going to follow with your meal plan and your workout plan. B- believe you me, tracking in my little Weight Watchers app reminds me every day that six pack abs do not happen overnight. It's crazy. <laughs> you know what though you just said something you said robots you said evolution you said all these things that people are freaked out of yeah. especially because we're like I, I find this hilarious and i don't know why these words haven't come to me yet but until now but you said it triggered this you know people go guys get ready technology's not going anywhere yeah. right and we go oh my gosh technology yeah you want to know what else isn't going anywhere people exactly great so you bought your car online you bought your car from a vending machine you bought your car from a freaking robot that hovered over your house until you said yes like it doesn't matter but you you also know something people aren't going anywhere and as long as people exist to consume these products they're going to need other people to assist them i agree i agree 100 percent. and the better we get at assisting them the, the, the the more listen if we made car buying fun can you imagine how much more money we would make Think about it. Think about, it if, if, think about it. If car buying was an experience to where you and I enjoyed it, instead of instead, I mean, even if you have a lot of money in the bank and you have perfect credit, you're still looking for that person in the car business to be your intermediate intermediary, so to speak. Right. Right. It shouldn't be like that. You, like, it should be like buying a house. It should be a joyous occasion. But yeah, because you know what the thing is, the the car buying process, like researching and looking for cars, that's actually kind of fun. Yeah. That part is fun. Yes. Just walk, it's just walking into the dealership. That's why most dealerships are busy on Sundays when there's nobody there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? It's just because there's no pressure. And it's, but if we made it a funny experience, if we made it about the experience and not about the sale, I mean, that's what happens. Too many people focus. That's, that's where a lot of salespeople lose their deals is they focus on the sale instead of just focus on the experience. Let me over deliver on your experience. That's what I focus with on dealerships. I, I focus on over delivering and doing everything I can. I stay bell to bells. I sell cars myself. 
you know, I yesterday I, t- I did a 500 spiff at the dealership I was at and I took it out of my own pocket. I didn't, wow. I didn't have to. I just chose to. Why did I do that? Because I wanted to show the dealer that I'm not, it's not about the money for me. Listen, if I can, if I can get your people to get you results, the money's going to come and it's going to come tenfold. It's going to come from the dealership and it's going to come from the referrals the dealership gives me. I.e. money's a tool, like you said. That, and if, you're, if they're going to spend 10 hours a day inside that dealership, you need to learn that time is money and, and money buys back time. So if you're going to spend 10 hours inside the dealership, why not hone your skills? Why not make sure that you're doing everything that you can? I mean, Michael, to be honest with you, the two biggest things I see in the car industry that need to happen that would that would increase every dealership's production right away is number one, getting salespeople to engage leads more proactively. I mean, they're still waiting around for those Glenn Gary, Glenn, Glenn Ross leads. And to use a CRM tool, I, I mean, BDC stands for busy developing cash. BDC should be a mindset, not a department. Wow. Right? I mean, every, everybody's um, job to find customers. Yeah. Yeah. It's business development. It's not sales. Yeah, I mean, here, here, here's the real reality of it all. The salesperson created the BDC. The BDC is now going to create the product specialist. Watch. I already have a lot of my dealerships, dealerships making the transformation, taking salespeople off the floor, replacing them with $14 an hour product specialists and having sales managers close down deals. Now they get, wow. now they get to keep more of the profit. And it's because, it's because of the way the car business is perceived. Imagine going into a dealership where you're not going to get tasked with price and where you can get pr- up price up front. Imagine calling the dealership and saying, what's the price? And then saying, here you go. Wow, that would take yeah. stress out. <laughs> it's an Apple store now. It's, it's Best Buy in that I, I, whether you buy it or you don't, I'm still here to just give you all the information you want regardless. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that kind of what our boy Tracy, Tracy Myers does? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe he can correct us, but I, like, I don't think he has commission sales people i think it's all kind of product specialists yeah. at his place and you'd be surprised how many dealers are going that route it's it's huh and it's and it, think about the salesperson created the bdc because they don't want to spend time following up the right way and, and more importantly putting the notes in the crm tool if we, if we made things a requirement and not a request we'd have a lot more productivity at dealerships if we made if we made a crm tool as fun as facebook imagine that i can't spend time in a crm but you could find me on facebook all day which is funny because if you're using facebook properly you could almost use it as a lightweight crm sure it's not going to have some automations and stuff but like i'll tell you what when people reach out to the dealer playbooks facebook page i can see their profile i can see where they're located i can add notes i can add a tag i can i can do a lot of different things find out a lot about them too oh you're a patriots fan that can come up in conversation randomly wow Mm, totally totally we learn how to maximize Wow, dude, this has been so enlightening. I'm so glad we we got this happening. I know it's it's been years in the making. Yes, it has. <laughs> well, I need to, to build my business too and become a little bit more of an authority in the space. So, oh man, you know it's it's been fun seeing what you're doing. I I feel like I'm chasing chasing you now, and and uh, and uh, you're a, an incredible example, very inspiring story. How can those listening get in touch with you? Well, I'll tell you what, you can reach me at anthonyalagona.com uh, or you can find me as, uh, on Facebook at Anthony Alagona. Um, I'm sorry, Anthony Alagona. My cell phone number is 732-456-0753. Feel free to reach out anytime. And my email address is just alagona812 at gmail.com.